0: NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice begins now.
1: Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. I'm Michelle Rudder, and I'm the Government Relations Manager for NCIA, and I'm here with NCIA's Director of Government Relations, Michael Correa.
2: Hi, Michelle. Uh,
1: I hope that all of our listeners enjoyed their Thanksgiving holiday, and for today's podcast, we have a very important and a very busy guest, so we'll get right into it.
2: So for today's podcast, we are joined by Congressman Jared Polis, who is currently running for governor of Colorado in 2018. Uh, Congressman Polis has held his seat since 2009 and has been uh, one of our biggest champions in the cannabis industry on Capitol Hill long before this was even considered an industry. And so for all our listeners out there, just for a little fun who don't know, I think you should go to YouTube, type in Crayfish and Jared Polis, and you'll be entertained uh, by a little dialogue he had on the House floor a couple years ago. And so one congressman thank you for joining us today.
3: Michael, I think you gave me a little toy crayfish after that, didn't
2: you? I did, and I really appreciate it. You've <laughs> yeah, been one of our I still heroes. I have that
3: around somewhere.
2: I've, I've always yeah. liked, loved working with you. So, one, I was in Denver a couple weeks ago uh, at our office and going through old photos, and there was a photo I saw of you going back to, I think, 2011. And I just wanted our listeners to know the Congressman has been there. You were going to our NCIA meetings when there would be five or ten people in a room, and you've been there since the very beginning and I really appreciate that. And so, one, I just wanted you to tell us a little about your background and how you became involved in politics. It's just a really interesting story. Well, you know,
3: first of all, it's it's so exciting to see the success of the cannabis reform movement because, you know, there's been so many other things in, in, in that have been just bogged down, you know, forever. And this is one where, like, wow. I mean, we honestly, who would have even thought – whether it was in you know 2008, 2010, who would have thought it would move this quick? Uh, where you know the majority of Americans today, over you know, live in a jurisdiction with some form of legal cannabis. I mean, it's just been a sea change. It's been really exciting to be here in public service during that time. My own route to public service. I was in business before, so I started several internet companies at uh, ProFlowers.com, BlueMountain.com. So I was an entrepreneur, uh, co-founded an accelerator called TechStars. Uh, and then I went into education, I served six years in the State Board of Education. I started some uh, public charter schools to serve at-risk youth, new immigrants, and homeless youth. So uh, I have professionally been working in the internet sector, and uh, I have been working in education uh, the last few years, and, and the opportunity came to go full-time into public service, and I decided to run for Congress.
2: Well, Juan, you've been a champion on Capitol Hill for cannabis reform for years. Um, How how did your interest in this issue evolve?
3: Well, you know, to me, it just never made sense that uh, it didn't follow the science that you had, you know, uh, something that was arguably less harmful uh, and debilitating than alcohol and yet was uh, banned, uh, giving rise to, you know, criminal cartels and others. And um, it just made no sense. I mean, I just couldn't figure out why, why society dealt with it like this when it was clear it wasn't working. The prohibition policy clearly wasn't working.
1: So Colorado has really been at the forefront. about cannabis legalization uh, since they're, you know, one of the first states to legalize adult use cannabis back in 2012. So I'm curious to hear your opinion on how legalization has affected your state. And, um, you know, going back to to that time in 2012, were you at all nervous about being one of the first states to legalize marijuana, what that would mean? Well,
3: so, you know, it's great news from Colorado. It's really proven the point that allowing responsible adults to legally purchase marijuana uh, not only gives money to classrooms rather than criminal cartels, but it also creates jobs, boosts the economy, uh, and it's really been been good all around. Um, Yeah, I would say it's always, we're always a little nervous when you're the first. Um, Frankly, I thought there'd be more hiccups along the way, Uh, you know, just to be the first mover, usually there's mistakes to be made, but I I think uh, it's gone much more smoothly than than many of us, uh, and uh, it's because the people of our state and the people of our country are just way ahead of where the politicians are on this issue.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Colorado, it's really amazing to see the way the regulatory process has really worked itself out there. When they were having issues with edibles, they went to the state house and they and they, you know, they found a solution. So it's nice to see policy really working there. Um, I'm also curious about what you would say is the biggest change that you've noticed uh, since legalization happened in Colorado.
3: Well, I would say, you know, it's, it's been good for our economy. So I've seen areas, particularly low-income areas, uh, that have been revitalized. Uh, In southern Colorado, we have a lot of grow operations, which are major parts of the economy. In some areas like Trinidad, in in Denver metro area, you have neighborhoods that... um, have been resurging with a strong economy for a variety of reasons, but certainly, you know, dispensaries during the forefront of kind of helping neighborhoods come back and particularly coming out of that huge housing crisis, which has been very hard and, and commercial real estate, that 2008-2009 crisis, um, the dispensaries were kind of well-timed to help take up some of the, the real estate glut and, and keep, you know, uh, strip malls occupied and keep people going to work. It was really a boom for our economy.
2: So you've been uh, one of the four founders of the Congressional Cannabis Caucus. Can you tell us how that was started and how's it been going in Congress?
3: Yeah, you know, it's it's exciting. So we've come to the point where, you know, I always talked about, you know, legalizing cannabis. And there were certainly others on both sides that did. But the thought of a formal cannabis caucus was very foreign, you know, 10 years ago. Now it's exciting. This is a formal caucus of the U.S. Congress. And people are openly members of it. Uh, we have briefings on the Hill regularly and, you know, it, we've sort of got gotten over what we faced 10 years ago, eight years ago. We kind of had that face to kind of chuckle factor. I mean, we bring up marijuana and people go, Oh, you silly, you know, uh, it just wasn't taken seriously. Well, guess what? It's now, uh, you know, it's now more than taken seriously. Uh, It's a huge business, Um, it's very important to consumers, and we have an official cannabis caucus.
2: So one of the things, you know, when uh, Speaker Paul Ryan came to power, what was it, in 2015, I think, he said, one, he wanted to have an open process, he wanted to return to quote unquote regular order, Um, and Politico just did a story, I think it was like two, three weeks ago, that said this was the most closed Congress uh, in history. And you sit on the Rules Committee. And for those that don't know, the Rules Committee is sort of the last place for legislation before it it makes the House floor. And uh, it's chaired by Pete Sessions of Texas, who actually blocked a rule. The the, uh, leadership of Congress has blocked all marijuana-related amendments from getting to the House floor. And Pete Sessions, as chairman of this committee, has made sure no cannabis um, amendments have actually made the House floor. Can you talk just – From what you've seen over the years about the open process, what you would like to see, and just talk about the Rules Committee and and what the industry can do to maybe help change that.
3: Well, it's frustrating because we actually have the votes on the floor of the House, pretty solid margins to pass reasonable marijuana reform measures certainly you know the continuation of the prohibition of enforcement against medical marijuana we probably have enough votes to prevent enforcement against recreational marijuana probably enough votes for a banking fix for a 280E fix these are all kind of insider terms but these are things that uh... you know short of full uh... legalization which i'm the sponsor of the main bill to regulate marijuana like alcohol and get it out of the DEA altogether um... short of that moving through the process These other bills fix day-to-day problems, these other kind of amendments would fix like real day-to-day problems that consumers and businesses face in marijuana. But because of the position of a key opponent of any marijuana reform uh, in in the chairmanship of the Rules Committee, which determines what amendments are allowed, they have locked out even amendments that that we know have passed, that have been part of prior spending bills, right? The one to uh, make sure that no resources were used by the Department of Justice to go after uh, medical marijuana in states where it's legal—that's been part of prior spending bills. Congress has passed it overwhelmingly. Its support has only gone up, but because of the way Congress works institutionally, there's just uh, you know a couple powerful chairmen that are kind of bottling things up in their in their committees.
1: So you just mentioned this. You are the original sponsor of H.R. 1841, which is the Regulate Marijuana Like Alcohol Act. Uh, I know it sounds kind of self-explanatory, but will you tell our listeners a little bit about the bill and maybe some of the other bills that you uh, have been a co-sponsor of that relate to cannabis?
3: Yeah, so we've got to get cannabis out of the DEA altogether. It's, it's, It's more appropriately looked at like other controlled substances like alcohol, tobacco, uh, there, you know, keep in mind, there's not. It's not like there's no federal regulation of those. There is, but it's very different than what is done through the Drug Enforcement Agency, which is a very, which has been extremely hostile uh, to cannabis for no scientific reason. Um, so we take it out of there and we just say, look, the federal role is more analogous to uh, alcohol and in tobacco. We actually put it in the same agency. Um, it would be the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Marijuana, and you know, it would be the customary normal things. Uh, you know, in terms of making sure it's kept down in the hands of minors, and uh, still, of course, they'd be charged with preventing illegal uh, marijuana um, from being imported or sold. Uh, And uh, it would oversee the kind of uh, allowing states to regulate it like alcohol. It wouldn't make it legal in any state where it is illegal today. That's up to the states to decide. Um, Right now, even to this day, we have dry counties that don't allow the sale of alcohol in the states like Texas, and that's entirely their prerogative to do that, but it doesn't mean that we have a federal ban on alcohol. Just as that didn't work and we removed prohibition, the federal ban on cannabis doesn't work, and it's time to get it out of DEA and remove the ban.
1: Well, we couldn't agree more. That's a bill I would love to see move in Congress. Um, but we're going to take a short break. But when we come back, we'll be joined by Congressman in Colorado gubernatorial candidate Jared Polis. So don't go away. We'll be back in just a few.
0: NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice only on CannabisRadio.com.
1: We're back from the break. Thanks for tuning in to NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. If you're just joining us, I'm Michelle Rudder, and we're here with current congressman and Colorado gubernatorial candidate Jared Polis. Um, so there's the looming threat of a government shutdown next week if Congress doesn't pass a continuing resolution or a new budget bill for 2018. Um, I'm sort of curious, being a member, I'm, I'm hoping you have a little bit of insight as, as, as to what you think may happen next week.
3: Well, you know, it, it's so hard to predict. But I would just add that uh, for those of us who care about cannabis, there is some language at stake in the end of year spending bill. So we can watch that. I mean, there's a million other things happening, obviously, that people will be determining their votes on. But one thing that we've had in prior spending bills is a language that I, I authored with uh, Dana Warbacher of California Republic. Republican was very friendly to, um, to cannabis uh, that prevents states from enforcing, federal law against medicinal marijuana users and dispensaries in states that have legalized medicinal marijuana. We've had that as part of spending bills. we passed it on the floor of the House. It's very important, particularly because we worry about the motives of our current U.S. Attorney General um, session. So uh, that is uh, very scary to many of us, and while, of course, our goal is to extend the protection to the commercial sale of cannabis rather than just medicinal. At this point, we're playing defense because of the, the times, and we're just trying to include the language that we had before uh, to prevent some sort of mass enforcement action against additional marijuana users or dispensaries in this end of year bill, where where the whole bill's going? You know, there's a lot of other issues. Obviously, spending levels are being debated. Uh, many uh, Democrats, certainly myself included, want to see the situation with the Dreamers addressed—young people that grew up in this country and having some way that they can get right with the law. So, there's a lot of other issues that are coming to a head. But I want everybody, you know, who follows cannabis, to know that one of those important issues is related to cannabis.
2: And you mentioned a lot of issues coming up. Uh, One of them is a tax reform. And people who've been uh, reading the news know that, you know, they may be close to a deal. The House had passed uh, their version of tax reform um, and the Senate is now debating it uh, next week or so. One of the questions for you. Uh, And I I find this slightly frustrating: is Republicans have decided to do tax reform all on their own. The last time tax reform happened was 30 years ago, and it was bipartisan. And this is not uh, bipartisan in any manner. Uh, There was an amendment that we were hoping to offer that would address the 280E issue that penalizes our businesses, but we weren't able to allow that uh, because of this closed uh, rule process. But one, I just wanted to hear your thoughts on tax reform and just on that process.
3: It's so frustrating as a legislator. Just, you know, I offered 16 amendments to tax reform, including uh, the 280E fix for cannabis and all of the amendments were turned down. Of course, I didn't take it personally because they turned down every amendment from Republicans and Democrats, and many of my amendments were bipartisan. But it's just a horrible way to do things. Literally, we saw the bill maybe 36 hours before we had to vote on it. Huge tax bill, you know, thousands of pages, not allowed to amend it, and just had to vote yes or no. From a process perspective, it is uh, absolutely horrible. It's no wonder we wind up with a product that we uh we get. It's almost like the Republicans are saying you have to, you know, pass it to even see what's in it. Uh literally, I can't imagine anybody would have had time to read it before we were forced to vote on it. So obviously I voted no. I did offer 16 amendments. Uh they were all rejected. I don't take that personally because everybody's amendments were rejected, but it is a broken process. If the process were open, we would have made progress in cannabis reform in the tax bill. We have the votes. That's the frustrating thing. We can pass, you know, something like a 280E fix or a banking fix to allow, you know, 280 would be allowing business expenses to be deducted on the House floor. Uh, but we can't get it there because of this closed process, which is not just because of the marijuana issue, of course. They close it down on a variety of issues. But the marijuana progress is certainly a victim of this ridiculously closed process, which is unprecedented. I mean, by comparison, in the health care bill, the Democrats passed in 2009, 2010, Uh, they had uh, something like 60 amendments uh, from both sides, Republicans and Democrats incorporating that bill. This tax bill, zero.
1: Yeah, it's been an incredibly frustrating uh, session for sure. And uh, you mentioned you know, some of the institutional hurdles that we face, and I'm curious to know how you think uh, people can best engage with members of Congress on the cannabis issue. Is it calls? Is it meetings? Is it town halls? I mean, I know that we have our annual uh, lobby days, our fly-in every spring, which you've been incredibly supportive of, which will be doing again in May, which I always think we see a little spike in co-sponsorship of cannabis bills after that, which is always reassuring. But I'm curious about what you think is the most effective way for uh, constituents or or just people in general to really, um, you know, get active on this.
3: You know, all the above, right? Showing up at town hall meetings, um, writing, uh, telephone town halls. If you go to Washington, requesting a meeting, try to get the member of Congress, you know, just on the record on where they are on it. Uh, and then, and then if they're if they're for it, we try to get their name on the bill. So, you know, all of those things work. Um, and so, you know, just we need to keep at it. We need to keep building support, especially in jurisdictions where there is some form of legal cannabis, which is the overwhelming majority of, of jurisdictions of the country. So, this is a real issue that affects actual constituents of most members of Congress.
2: So when this year began, I had sort of high hopes that maybe we could be uh, part of tax reform, which hasn't really happened because you mentioned the closed rule. I had high hopes that uh, Speaker Ryan would hold true to his word and we'd have open rule. And I guarantee you all of our marijuana amendments would pass overwhelmingly. Um, but I yeah. lowered those expectations and I do not. I, I first moved to D.C. in 97 and have been working on on the hill since 97 and i've seen it change in all of these years and i just want to see you know just ask your opinion do you have uh any hopes uh in the next 12 months of any cannabis related stuff uh, happening i i i don't want to be a downer for people but the conditions are just not ripe with what leadership's doing and just wanted to hear your thoughts on that
3: yeah for for whatever reason uh republican leadership in the house has decided at least now, until now, through now, no, we're not going to make any progress on cannabis reform, despite the fact that probably a third of their Republican members support it. All the Democrats support it. That's why these things pass overwhelmingly. Uh, you know, maybe shouldn't say all the Democrats, but, you know, 90, 95 plus percent, you know, a good third of the Republicans. So the votes are there. But Republican leadership has just has a lockdown on it, um, on any progress on cannabis. Um, it's frustrating. <clears throat> Can things open up? Absolutely. I mean, there's no question that next year could be different. There could be more open rules. It's just, it's going to be up to Paul Ryan and Pete Sessions, right? I mean, if they choose to open things up, uh, we will make progress on cannabis. That's, that's the good news is we have the votes. Like, it's a much stronger position to be in. And you remember a few years ago, Michael and Michelle, we, we didn't know if we had the votes, right? We, we said, oh, should we do a test vote? We, we didn't know where members were. Most members weren't on the record on it. We didn't know if we could win. We even lost a few votes narrowly that I think we would win today. I remember one about allowing the VA to offer medicinal cannabis. We might have lost it by a few votes. We probably win that one today. So, you know, the times are with us. The votes are with us. We just have to get through Republican leadership to allow a free vote and for Democratic and Republican legislators to make up their own mind. And hopefully that will happen in the next year.
1: Well, you left that on an optimistic note. We're, uh, we're going to take a quick break with that. But when we come back, we're going to talk more about the governor's race with Congressman and Colorado gubernatorial candidate Jared Polis. So don't go away.
0: NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors.
2: in as little as four weeks, bringing CO2 extraction to the masses. Learn more at apekssupercritical.com. Four-week build excludes high production systems.
0: Ignite the conversation on some trending
3: topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network.
0: Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice only on CannabisRadio.com.
1: We're back from the break. Thanks for tuning in to NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. If you're just joining us, I'm Michelle Rutter, and we're here with current Congressman and Colorado gubernatorial candidate Jared Polis.
2: Uh, thanks, Michelle, uh, Congressman. Uh, you are, of course, running for governor of Colorado. Um, can you tell us uh, and tell the listeners uh, one just about the race? Uh, who's who? Sort of declared as of right now, and what would your prior, What are some of your priorities if elected?
3: Sure. Well, you can visit my website at polisforcolorado.com, dot com. dot com. Certainly, I'm very excited about helping to grow the cannabis economy in Colorado. Industrial hemp farming, uh, I think, is a, a big part of my um, agricultural agenda. Providing you know new new uh, ways that farmers can stay on their family land and and be and produce and and make a profit. Certainly the cannabis industry and the taxes that it generates is an important part of contributing education in our state. Uh, I'm focused on shifting our state um, to renewable energy. Uh, States are leading the way in the absence of federal leadership, and we have a plan to, to continue to do that. And in education, where I've done a lot of my work, Uh, The the kind of big uh, highlight of my plan is to make sure that every child in Colorado has access to universal preschool and kindergarten. Right now, our state only has half a day of kindergarten, and there's a patchwork where some districts do a little bit more. But it makes a huge difference uh, for kids that have the opportunity, full-day preschool and kindergarten. Families that can afford it usually do. We were able to afford it with our kids. But for families that can't, again, it it creates a huge gap when the kids reach first grade, if that's their first day in school, versus if they've had the quality preschool and kindergarten. And we're focused on how we can better make our economy work for everyone. Uh, Colorado is falling a little bit behind on infrastructure. Uh, With the growth of our population, it'll fall to the next governor to build a coalition to get ahead of the curve on reducing traffic and making housing more affordable and all those sort of bread and butter quality of life issues important to our state.
2: Uh, Well, one, uh, the current governor uh, John Hickenlooper, Hickenlooper, sorry about that, has been, you know, he's evolved on the cannabis issue. Uh, he's changed. I think he's been as good as we could expect to be the governor of the first state to legalize. Um, do you think he's gone far enough? Are there things that you would have done different? And are there things that you think, uh, you would like to do as governor to take this issue even further along?
3: Yeah, well, you know, and then to his credit, while he opposed the legalization initiative. Unfortunately, he then implemented it the will of the voters in good faith. Uh, I think, and he did a fine job operationally in setting up the regulatory structure uh, both on hemp as well as uh, marijuana. So, uh, yeah, I think I think he did a good job. I, I think where where I hope to be able to do as governor is you know there's a lot more competition. A lot more states are coming online. We were one of the first. But from an economic development perspective, I want Colorado to be a big beneficiary of the jobs, uh, good jobs related to the cannabis industry for years to come. So in the face of, you know, California and big states coming online, I want to make sure we have a lot of the enabling technology companies based in our state um, with hundreds of good-paying jobs um, and that we're able to maintain that leadership role as a part of our overall economic development strategy.
2: So I think currently right now there are eight states with legal adult use in the District of Columbia, and everyone mentions tipping points. Here you are, you know, you're a federal official. Do you think um, we're at a tipping point or what do you think that tipping point would be? A state such as California is going to be doing really online legal sales starting in January, and that is going to be bigger than most markets combined. Just your thoughts on the direction of the industry and what it'll take for federal officials to sort of come around.
3: Well, you know, there is there is an existential threat from the U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions under President Trump. He, um, he could act with a stroke of a pen to create enormous uncertainty in the industry uh, and even launch, there's nothing that would really prohibit him from launching large-scale enforcement actions. So that is a huge concern. Uh, I would hope that President Trump would not allow him to do that, but you just don't know with the way this administration works. I don't know whether it has president Trump's attention. I don't even know if he's on good terms with his own attorney general, who seems to undermine in the, uh, in the press. So that's a big threat. You know, but we're, we're a lot further along, even in the eight states he said to mention had had um, recreational, I think what's the latest number on medicinal. It's over 30, right? Um, over 30 yeah. states have medicinal. And then if you add in CBDs and some other things, you get up to the, the 40. So, You know, there's some form of legal cannabis in uh, the overwhelming majority of states. So there's no doubt we have a tipping point on that. On the commercial regulated sale, the non-medicinal side, I think it'll take a few more states coming online. I mean, obviously, California is a game changer because it's so huge. But in terms of um, getting Senate and Congress to, for instance, pass my regulating marijuana like alcohol bill, uh, I think you need a few more states on that recreational side. But I think we're already there on the medicinal side for sure.
1: So uh, what advice would you offer other states who are who are looking at legalization and, and considering uh, that policy change?
3: I mean, you know, again, look at the Colorado model. Um, I'm sure that there's unique attributes of every state that they want to look at. We've actually seen some bad models of marijuana legalization, like the ridiculous initiative that was in Ohio to try to give the entire control of the industry to a few oligarchs to just a couple companies. Um, I would certainly look at it more as a grassroots, bottom-up, market-driven industry, let entrepreneurs in, let them do innovative things like Colorado does. So, I mean, there's no doubt, like, right, when anybody sees a pot of money, there's always going to be, you know, individuals who want to co-opt that and use government to co-opt it for themselves. And so I think that's a new threat that we didn't know existed, right? But I mean, you know, look at what was in Ohio. I know there were a lot of people there. And had I been in Ohio and I might have been in this category, we're like, I'm totally for legal cannabis, but this is a bad proposal. Like, I don't want to hand it to a few wealthy, like, oligarchs, you know, like, that's not right. So I think that's a new threat that we didn't really think about, you know, like, eight, eight ten years ago.
2: Uh, One, I know our time is running out. I wanted to thank you again, but here is my request to you. Uh, We love you. You've been around uh, in support of our issue for years. We wish you the best of luck on your run. And my request to you is... Ah, uh, once you become governor, you don't forget us, and you invite us to your inauguration party.
3: I will look forward to it. Um, I don't. I don't know whether it'll be no smoking or not. We're we're kind of an anti-smoking state, but it's it's not particular to marijuana. It's more on the tobacco side. So that's that's the main thing you have to worry about.
1: Well, we're gonna hold you to that. <laughs> so that is all the time I, that I, we I look
3: forward to seeing you.
1: Us too. Um, That is all the time that we have for today. But a big thank you again to Congressman Polis for joining us today. And and best of luck in the gubernatorial race. We're looking forward to the party.
3: Polisforcolorado.com.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Congressman. (laughs)
1: Thank you. And to our listeners, don't forget that NCIA's quarterly event series, the Quarterly Cannabis Caucuses, will be starting in a city near you in January. You can visit www.thecannabisindustry.org slash events to see the schedule and register for an event near you. And everyone, don't forget to follow Mike on social media to keep up with what's happening here in D.C. You can find him on both Instagram and Twitter at The Pot Lobbyist. So thank you to our listeners. That's all for today. Bye-bye.